Welcome to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Laura Turner. Hello and welcome to another special edition of Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. I'm Laura Turner. Our guest tonight may very well have been a part of the soundtrack to your life. His career in the Australian music industry has spanned nearly 50 years and he's revered as one of the country's finest songwriters, responsible for iconic songs such as Girls on the Avenue, Lucky Country and Glory Road. And while you might think he's been there and done just about everything over the decades, the artist lovingly labelled as Australia's favourite hippie has just notched up another career first, recording his first ever album of cover songs. It is my pleasure to welcome Richard Clapton to Great Australian Lives. How are you, Richard? Hey, Laura. How are you? Yeah, very well. Nearly 50 years in the industry and this is your first album of covers. That's a long time coming. Uh, It is, but the raison d'etre for this album is that Terry Blamey, who is Kylie Minogue's manager for most of her career, well, I think all of her career, Befriended um, me, yes. Befriended me um, in recent times, and I went to San Francisco. I had a gig in San Francisco, and I hung around for, for a few weeks. And I was hanging around Haight Ashbury, which is my promised land. That's my, you know, I was doing the pilgrimage, the hippie <laughs> pilgrimage. Um, came back here and had a night with Terry, and, and obviously Terry had a pretty strong relationship with the late great Michael Gadinsky. And anyway, this night, Terry said, I know, let's do an album of hippie anthems. And at first, I was kind of reticent to jump at this idea because, um, as you correctly pointed out, I've never done covers. I didn't know what I, how I'd go with singing other people's songs. I warmed the idea. Terry took it to Gadinsky. I don't think Gadinsky was all that convinced at first because Terry had a policy of holding the music back until such time as Terry and I were happy enough with it, you know, to present to a record company. So Gadinsky spent um, a long time not actually hearing it. But when he heard it, he was won over. Your relationship with Terry, I know you say it really warmed over the um, creation of this album, but you actually met him back in the 70s, didn't you? There was a relationship very early on. Yeah, but the funny thing there is I don't really remember it. Uh Terry said he used to be my agent. Right. Um, (laughs) But probably more importantly... Terry also said he'd been a fan of mine since Prussian Blue, which is my first album in 1973. When he first had Kylie, they immediately moved to London and had been been there for like 35 years or so. So that's why I never saw much of Terry. But when he and Kylie parted ways, as I said, he started coming to my gigs. And that's where this idea was born for me to do uh, my first album, Covers. He brings um, a pretty good calibre to this project, doesn't he? Well, yes, also because he's um, amazing encyclopedic knowledge of mm. music. He actually mm. knows more about music or music history than I do. I always thought the Youngbloods had written uh, Get Together, but Terry Blamey pointed out, no, it wasn't the Youngbloods, it was two other guys that I haven't right. heard of that wrote it. So in yeah. his liner notes, don't you love liner notes? How long, how long <laughs> since you've seen liner notes? Yeah. I don't think any of us have for about 20 years. So, uh, yeah, he's like, Perry's line note's fantastic. And it's funny you say that about, you know, him pointing out um, the original artists of covers. It was just, only, and this is embarrassing, but it was only the other day that I learnt 
that Johnny Cash didn't write the song Hurt. It was actually Nine Inch Nails. Do you, um, and I'm sure you would have known that a long, you know, for a long time, but me being, you know, not, not uh, a muso, mm. <laughs> I've always loved yeah. that song, but never realised it wasn't his. And we, we find that a lot with covers, don't we? Yeah, I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. Like, we prefer to think of this album we've done as a homage rather than a covers album. Right. And, in fact, we we, we culled it down. We curated it for about two years, culled it down to a very sharp focus, which is pretty much Laurel Canyon from 1966 to 1970. Then there's another way of looking at covers, which is a total reworking. Mm-hmm. As you said, Johnny Cash's Reworking of Hurt is probably one of the best examples we can think of. But then you've got the Birds doing Mr. Tambourine Man and the band, you know, doing Tears of Rage and other Dylan songs. And some reworkings are not just valid, they're fantastic and sometimes can be better than the originals. Then again, there's a lot of other reworkings, which really suck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I remember reading Nine Inch Nails when when he asked them and said, can I do my own version of Hurt? And they said, yeah, absolutely. And then they heard it and went, oh, how embarrassing. He's he's just blown us out of the water. It's the most incredible uh, cover of their song. Do you feel as you're doing covers, you know, a sort of, a pressure to do it in a certain way or do you just take it on as your own? Look, a lot of these songs, in fact, nearly all of them, are in my DNA. So, no, it wasn't all that challenging for me to sing them. There are a couple on there, like Woodstock was was a tough one for me, but it's just the rest of the band, wrecked, they loved it. So, you know, I wasn't all that convinced. But in the main, no, it was, it was fairly natural for me to sing these songs. And and you've called them um, anti-establishment counterculture songs, which, which which are your type of song anyway. So they're going to feel yes. pretty natural for you. Yeah. Another thing that was in the back of our minds: we started this project during the four years of Trump, and we were influenced in our, in our decision making because of Southern Man and for what it's worth, uh, and the overt political songs that are on this album, and. and kind of hoping that young kids nowadays might hear some of these hippie anthems and, and realise that, that the hippie anthems are all part of that colossal movement mm-hmm. that got rid of Nixon and, and, you know, ended the Vietnam War. And it, it took, uh, you know, it, it was colossal. We had yeah. to move the earth, you know, <laughs> otherwise never would have got rid of Nixon. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it hasn't totally coincided. We're a bit late for Trump. <laughs> we thank God for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you don't have to worry about that now anyway, at least for a no. little while. <laughs> so how did you go about, I mean, I'm sure you had a lot of songs you wanted to put on um, Music Is Love. How did you cull them? Was it a painful process? Yeah, it was because um, Cherry has a long history in London, as do I. And so the strange thing was, even though I am an original hippie, I'm actually an original English hippie because I was in London in the late 60s, for all the late 60s. Mm-hmm. And obviously was going out seeing English bands um, every, every weekend. And some of, you know, so I've seen some of the most amazing gigs uh, ever in the history of rock and roll. Okay. However, when, uh, as has as Terry, but then when it, when we started creating lists, I'd have stuff like um, Street Fighting Man or etc. on there. And then 
Then we realised there was such a temptation. I mean, a kink song, I don't know, Waterloo Sunset, you know, songs like that. Then we realised if we cast our net too wide, it, there was a danger it would sound just like a, a, an album of covers, cover yeah. versions. Yeah. So we started, we started to look for, as I said, a raison d'etre, which is, you know, why are we doing this? And we needed people to understand why we were doing it, so we had to narrow the focus, just like you would a you know a follow spot on on yep. a stage, you know, yep. into a very narrow focus. So it really is, it's come down to pretty much all Laurel Canyon, 1966, 1970. Well, this is Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives, and as we head to the break, we're going to play a song from Richard's new album, Music Is Love. The first single is a rendition of Summer in the City. Now, Richard, the song was originally recorded by The Love and Spoonful in 1966, um, written about an unprecedented heat wave in New York. Why that song, and, and was it hard to recreate? It was indescribable. I was about to use a bad word to describe <laughs> trying to sing it. Honestly, it's a thousand words in three minutes. Got right. no idea. It's on there because it's a masterpiece. Um, also, I learnt from Terry that we all think Love and Spoonful were from New York. In reality, they weren't because they got busted for, for having pot. So they had to migrate over to the West Coast and became part of that West Coast scene. Yep. Laurel Canyon was this, if you've seen Echoes of the Canyon, it was this whole community all living in the same area. It wasn't just Crosby Stills, Nash and Young, because, you know, you had the monkeys and you had the turtles and all these pop bands as well. Yeah. I think the Beach Boys, they were yeah. all there. You know, we followed the hippie bands yeah. rather, rather than me, me trying to say, hey, hey, we're the monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, we're the monkeys. So, ah. <laughs> Let's hear a bit of Summer in the City now on Great Australian Lives. Yep. Hot town, summer in the city. Back of my neck, getting dirty and witty. Been down, isn't it a pity? Doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city. All around, people looking happy. Walking on the sidewalk, part of the match. But a night is a different world. Go out and find a girl. Come on, come on, and dance all night. Despite the heat, it'll be all right. You know it's a pity the days Don't seem like the nights in the summer In the city, in the summer, in the city Cool town, summer in the city Dressed so fine and looking so pretty Cool town, looking for a kitty Gonna look in every corner of the city Feel I'm wheezing like a bus stop Running upstairs, gonna meet you on the rooftop But at night it's a different world Go out and find a girl Come on, come on and dance all night you're listening to Great Australian Lives with Laura Turner for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
Welcome back to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. For more information, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Our guest tonight is Richard Clapton, Australian music royalty, and his new album, Music is Love, 1966-70, is out now. It's a collection of covers that pay tribute to some of the artists who influenced his own music, including The Birds, David Crosby, Neil Young and Buffalo Springfield. Now, I want to talk to you, Richard, about your early years. Um, I have listened to interviews talking about your childhood. It was pretty tumultuous, wasn't it? And really reached a peak of trauma when you were 10. Um, yeah, which is why I, I don't really talk about it much because it, it, it was, there's very few people that really know about my childhood and mm. they're very sympathetic because you could describe it as being really quite tragic. But, you know, it was long ago and I try to, look, I try to look at everything positively and, and yeah. I think without me going through that hardship as a child I wouldn't have become a songwriter because you know as I say no pain no gain sort of thing <laughs> so yeah we won't so, go into great detail but as you mentioned it has shaped you as a person and I know you were a boy who ended up let's say your mum passed away when you were 10 and, and, and your dad mm. came into your life and put you into mm. boarding school but you weren't comfortable with the structure uh, and the expectations and the pressure put on you were you? You wanted to be involved in music and in the end let's start from when you decided I'm not going to do the maths exam I'm going to London and you actually went out that day and bought a Rolling Stones album I believe uh, yes and, and, and really yes got punished for that <laughs> Look, quite simply my father's side of the family are all academics and they're all in medicine and so I was really the black sheep my mother who passed away um, I mean, she was actually the night sister at Sydney Hospital, mm. but nevertheless, she always wanted to be an artist. That's mm. where the art, arty side of my life right. comes into it. Um, also, because my housemaster at school was, uh, my entire time, was Richard Werrick. If you you and the listeners are aware of Richard Werrick, who Richard Werrick was, Richard was probably the most legendary theatrical director, I think. But he mm. spent five years of his life teaching Fortunately for me, and, and um, all of the literary knowledge that I have all came from him, right. and, and it was very advanced, and he was a hard taskmaster who was setting me impossible assignments because I was apparently too cheeky, and also I wouldn't get a haircut. <laughs> um, <laughs> How'd that but, go down at boarding school? I mean, <laughs> uh, you got cane for it. Right. You know, you only got one afternoon out of work, uh, a month, which is a Sunday afternoon. And I keep coming back still not having a haircut. But, no, I mean, look, when I was a young kid, I mean, where it was getting me into John Paul Sartre and Thomas yeah. Mann and yeah. Kafka and he had real, really heavy literature. Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, pro- probably the trauma of my early childhood, all that literature instilled into me mm. on, a, on a pretty much a daily basis. That's really where my songwriting came from. And you ended up in London, as has been well documented. How did you find your musical feet there? I know there was a time where you were sort of hitchhiking and all over the place, and it must have been hard, you know, to cut your teeth. If you read my book, the first chapter is about me meeting the Rolling Stones before I'd left Sydney and when I was a kid. And I originally had designs on, on uh, board designs, funny I picked that word. I wanted to be a fashion illustrator, which oh. nowadays doesn't mean much. A fashion illustrator back in those days, you know, wasn't fashion photography. Like, there were fashion magazines and, and just marvellous artists did illustrations in, in fashion magazines, and that's what I wanted to do. 
So to connect the dots, then I spent a whole afternoon with Keith Richards when I was still a kid. Oh, wow. And Keith wanted to be a, an artist himself and gave me really good advice that afternoon that I spent with him. And he advised me to go to St Martin's in the field in London because it's the best art school, probably one of the best in the world. Mm. And I followed that, that advice. And so when I first got to London, that was really what, I was going to do with my life was be um, a fashion illustrator and a graphic designer. Then I kind of had this epiphany, which came from Bob Dylan. I just decided I want to be that guy. I really <laughs> want to be that guy. And I, I, I honestly, and I, I got to the point where I, I think within two years, I've become the highest paid young graphic designer in London. I was really, I don't know, only about 18 or something. But by that time, I'd met some um, English guys who were into music and and I really just started Richard Clapton bands from day one. And we started playing around London and then I ended up in Berlin after that with a German band. And yeah. um, I did quite a lot before I came back to Australia. How aware of you at that time were you of, you know, the revolution that was going on in the US? And were you tempted to go to San Fran like hundreds of thousands of other hippies and join the movement over there? No, because... That was a burgeoning movement, in, in, especially in London. There was a lot of protests, like Street Fighting Man, and you know the British bands were also very revolutionary. It was just that musically, I had lent more towards Californian music, and I had this one album, Neil Young's After the Gold Rush, which I, I just listened to over and over and over again. That that number of Bob Dylan albums, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and. In as much as I loved British rock, and I suppose I was out playing British rock, and then after that playing kraut rock, being German rock, by the time I got back to Australia, I was still very much into the Neil Young, James Taylor, Bob Dylan, into that sort of genre. So doing this album has been weird because I was an English hippie, not a Californian hippie, and yet it, it's this, the, the songs on this hippie album the kind of my DNA. That's the music that I come from. Yeah, it certainly is. Now, going back to your those early years, I know you ended up back in Australia and, and you signed um, with Festival Records. There, there's a lot of pressure put on to you to produce a, a radio hit and, and I know that was sort of an uncomfortable situation for you to be and you didn't like that kind of pressure. But you did produce uh, Girls on the Avenue, which we'll play in a minute. That was rejected six times, that song, but you, you yeah. must have had a lot of faith in it. <laughs> well, quite honestly, it was my flatmate who was the A&R guy um, at Festival Records who had more faith in it than I did. Right. I, I resigned from it. So what happened is, my first album, Prussian Blue, it's called Prussian Blue because it was mainly written before I left Germany, uh, hence the name Prussia, mm. old Prussian. And Prussian Blue, I did here in 1973, and it got really great critical acclaim, especially magazines like Rolling Stone and, you know, some of the cool magazine, Go Set and stuff that were around, and, and the Daily, the Sydney Morning Herald, etc. However, sadly, didn't sell. So the record company gave me a sort of ultimatum that I either came up with a radio-friendly hit single or they would drop me from the label. And I was sharing a, a, a flat in Rose Bay in Sydney with this guy, Colin, and he was so passionate about Girls in the Avenue because the Avenue is in Rose Bay in Sydney. Um, we live next street along Chalier Avenue. It's an urban myth. 
but it's about hookers. It's actually about oh. a house of pretty girls that lived on the avenue in Rose oh. Bay, which meant even more to Colin because um, I think we're both obsessed with these girls at the time. They contact me. They want to write a book. The girls really? are still there. The girls on the avenue. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. <laughs> so there you go. It was actually my flatmate, Colin, that, that went to war against Festival Records because oh. they kept rejecting and They kept saying, the song makes no sense. What's the chorus? Uh. Well, don't you slip? Or yep. is it Friday Girls night? What is it? Yeah. Yeah, they just didn't like it. I've actually got a copy of it in storage with a big B for B-side, yeah. the throwaway side. Yeah. Um, and I've still got one of those. But there then Colin was the first music program, programmer for Double J. So as soon as he got on, on the radio, two of his pet songs that Festival rejected were um, Cocaine by JJ Kale and Girls in the Avenue. Wow. And... Colin just got on. That was me being on the good side of corruption because Colin was just programming <laughs> girls on the avenue once they're on the hour every hour. The commercial songs started hearing this, picked it up, and before you knew it, there it was, top of the charts. Speaking of that, let's hear it now, taking us back to 1975. Girls on the avenue, they're trying to get you in, strolling by. With a rosebud smile They're all dressed up to kill Lean on the windowsill Back to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Our guest tonight is Richard Clapton, singer-songwriter and producer. Now, uh, Richard, along with releasing your own music for decades, you had the opportunity to work with some incredible artists, including In Excess. You'd have to be living on a rock if you didn't know who they were, especially in Australia. That must have been an amazing time. I know you put a, about a year of your life into that, didn't you? Probably a couple of years, actually. Yeah. The way that happened was, was I was continually returning to Berlin and it became a second home. Mm. I came back from Berlin. I'd been gone a long time, almost a year, I think. I got home and I was jet-lagged and exhausted. And Chris Murphy, their manager who recently passed away, phoned me up and wanted me to come and see this band. It was a new wave band. And they were going on at a pub in Sydney called the Paddington Green Hotel. Mm. And they weren't going on until 1am. Bands used to play that late in those days. And it sounded to me like a hairdresser band, like Flock of Seagulls or something. All I knew was they were into haircuts and, you know, dressing up and stuff like that. And he almost had to drag me down there and go, oh, man. We get to the Panguine Hotel and truly there was nine local drunks (laughs) and they were there after midnight because the only place they They could get a drink. They knew all the bands. (laughs) Yeah, just nine local drunks, Chris yeah. Murphy and me, and that's all wow. that were there. Yeah. And this band came out on stage, this band of young guys, and just blew me away. And, and yeah. I'd already been a, a professional about 12 years at this stage. I was like, Jesus, mm. 
most seasoned professionals would be going, oh, Jesus, no one here, you know, short set's a good set. Let's just yeah. do a couple of songs and, yeah. and pack it in. They yeah. played with this passion and panache like I couldn't believe. And I've said in interviews over the years, I saw them about 25 years later in La Bercy in, in Paris. So 25,000 screaming French kids. They were just the same band as I'd seen. Right. Uh, anyway, look, getting back to the Paddington Green, they came off, did a blistering set, and Michael's on fire that night. I don't know, we just hit it off. What we had in common, believe it or not, was Steely Dan. They loved Steely Dan, so did I. We clicked immediately. Johnny, in excess of drummer, was 17. Johnny and I are still best friends. Johnny and I have been like big brother and little brother for 42 years now, believe it or not. I don't know, life's going wow. speed of speed of light. On with the story. So they wanted to do a cover of, speaking of covers, of The Loved One by, by The Loved Ones, yep. you know, the really old, old standard. And I said, sure, because I was getting on so well with them. We went and we, we recorded The Loved One as just a single, mm-hmm. and I thought it would just be a one-off. But it went top ten. We hit it off immediately, and I produced my own album, Dark Spaces, which comes after um, Goodbye Tiger and um, the album I did in LA, House of the Nightline. And they really liked the sound of Dark Spaces, so they asked me to do their album. I probably spent two years on In Excess because I did about a year's worth of pre-production. It was fascinating for me because I'd been in my own little world just being a, a solo songwriter. And by this stage, I was, you know, my musical library had expanded from Bob Dylan and Neil Young into Jackson Brown and, you know, all the great songwriters of Johnny Mitchell. And that's mm. that's where my head was at. But in pre-production within excess, Michael would be like extreme left of centre. So he'd be into my life in, in the bush of Ghosts by Bernardino and all kind of pretty weird out there stuff. <laughs> and then uh, at the right end of the spectrum, you'd get... I think Kirk was into Roxy Music and right. I think it was Avalon or something yeah. at that stage. So you had this whole spectrum of six of them. I just found it was fantastic. I worked with them for so long because I just wanted all, all six of them to be happy. Mm-hmm. So what I was attempting to do, and it seems like I, I must have pulled it off, was make this amalgam of all their musical tastes. And that was going to be the sound and, and that was going to be the nature of, of their second album. Yeah. And, and, um, and we've been friends ever since. What a story and, and, what, and what a four decades I'm sure you've had as best friends. Uh, before we go to the break, I want to talk to you about another track from Music Is Love, which is your new album for those just tuning in, Riders on the Storm. This, selfishly, this is a song that is, has a really special place in my heart. It was my late sister's favourite song. So I want to hear from you why that song, that is a incredible piece of music and a lot to take on. Uh, it is. Now, getting back to Terry Blamey, that was Terry's idea to do Riders on the Storm. I was kind of reticent to dive into that song because, mm. as you say, it's in many ways, it's kind of a masterpiece and it's yes. a lot to take on. Yeah. But Clayton Dolly, who plays keyboards on this, just nailed it. I think we only did a couple of takes of that. See, originally I, I thought to myself, well, for a start, it's been done to death. But when I Googled it, it actually hasn't been done to death. In fact, I don't think anybody's done it, covered it, <laughs> I mean. No, I was amazed because that was one of the reasons I, I did not want to do it because I thought, yeah. oh, you know, everyone's covered this. And which they haven't, the colour of the players that I've used on this album, I mean, for me, this is my band of brothers. For me, they're just the best musicians mm-hmm. probably ever. 
I think, in mm. Australia's history. It's just incredible that they could actually form Riders on the Storm like they have. Yeah. And so I, I was won over and I just thought, well, OK, we'll go with that one. I cannot wait to hear it myself. Yeah. This is Great Australian yeah. Lives for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Our guest is Richard Clapton and here is his version of Riders on the Storm for his new album, Music is Love. Welcome back to Great Australian Lives for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Tobin Brothers now offer fully live-streamed services so that anyone who could not attend the funeral of a loved one can still view the service and participate. For more information, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Our guest tonight is singer-songwriter and producer Richard Clapton, who's just released a new album, Music is Love, available online and in store now. Now, you've returned to Mushroom Group to release this album, Richard, your first with them since 1984's Solidarity. You mentioned before Michael Godinsky and his recent passing. Did that hit you hard? That hit me very hard, although I would think my sympathies really went out to his staff and probably Melbourne as well. Godinsky was very Melbourne-oriented, and I'm a Sydney boy, um, Mm. even though I spent half my life in Melbourne. To keep it short and sharp, I think Godinsky was a bit dubious about this album at first. It was Terry that coerced Godinsky into funding it, and Terry, he didn't play Godinsky anything for months. And I think Godinsky got quite agitated, going, you know, <laughs> I've spent all this money and I haven't heard anything yet. When Godinsky <laughs> finally heard it, he warmed to it quite quickly right. to the point where then he got quite obsessive about it. And mm. he started phoning me at all hours of day and night. So Godinsky got into the habit of, of just calling me randomly. Uh, what is so surreal for me is that that four nights before he passed, you probably heard Vinsky never said hello or goodbye. You know, it was just, it was like quarter past 11 at night and I used to get quite annoyed with him, phoning me up any time he felt like it. He goes, so how's the air going? It's growing, okay? Yeah, well, you know, he wanted it as long as it was in the 70s. And what, what shirt are you going to wear in this video? So, I don't know, I'm trying to sleep. He'd go, well, I better be... Maybe. Oh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> didn't cut that out. <laughs> it better be hippie. 
He said, what have you got? And I said, people, I wanted to say, oh, I'd like one of your tie-dyes from the early 70s, Michael. How about that? I said, oh, I've got to go to the dead shirt. Yeah, all right, that'll do. And then it's just click. No goodbye or anything like that. And then four, four mornings later, I'm getting phone calls early in the morning and say, Michael Dinsky passed away. And I said, you can't have. But I was only just talking to him. Just talking, yeah. And so for me, it was really, really surreal. Yeah. Um, but as I said, I, I think for his staff at Mushroom and the people of Melbourne, I think it goes beyond sad. It's mm. like a big black hole for you guys. And, you know, and all of us. But, but as I said, I, I'm Sydney and, and he was very, I mean, as you know, he loved Melbourne so much. And <laughs> he was pretty biased towards Melbourne, I've got to tell you. <laughs> well, actually, we actually just recently had him on this show and it was a great honour and, and privilege to, to spend, you know, a, a fair amount of time with him talking about his life and his career. So I feel very honoured to have, have had that chat with him. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you more so. Um, for those listening who are big fans of you, Richard Clapton, The Collectors, you'd better be quick because your new album, Music Music Is Love, will be pressed on limited edition transparent yellow vinyl. Pretty good to be releasing vinyl in 2021. Well, I haven't had vinyl um, for years. For decades, yellow vinyl, transparent yellow vinyl. I've only got one. I think grab them soon because I think they're going like hotcakes. Mm. It's probably probably not the music. It's probably the yellow yellow vinyl. I don't know. <laughs> and Richard Clapton, thank you so much for being our guest tonight. It has been a pleasure and an honour to speak to you. Thank you so much. Really excited about the new album. Of course, as I mentioned, Music Is Love. There's 1966 to 1970 available everywhere, including on Spotify, JB Hi-Fi. If you've enjoyed our chat with Richard Clapton, you can share it with a friend on the Great Australian Lives podcast. And join me the same time next week when we celebrate another Great Australian Live. You're listening to Great Australian Lives with With Laura Turner Turner for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating Lives. 